take our Bible and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 5, if you would. Acts chapter 5, we'll read in verse, verses 1 through 11. Our study in the book of Acts is, we're calling the Continuing Acts of Christ. Continuing Acts of Christ. There's no room to give or to glorify these apostles uh, because it wasn't, it wasn't them doing the work. It wasn't them doing the acts, called the acts of the apostles, but in, in all truth, it was what the Lord was doing uh, in the person of the Spirit of God through these apostles and through the church here. So, but as we go into Acts chapter 5, it takes a dark turn. It takes a dark turn. Verse 1, the Bible says this of Acts chapter 5, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the three and the young men came in and found her dead and, carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. As we've been looking at the book of Acts, there have been so many good examples We've seen you do so many things as we've read here. And Lord, as we've seen the good things that you've done through your church, we've seen how that you have helped them in persecution. We've seen how that you have caused the word to be effective. Lord, we have seen things in the, in the book of Acts thus far that have been an encouragement to us, an example to us. And Lord, things that we desire to see at Choice Hills Baptist Church as well. Lord, because we know you are the same God now as you were then. We have the same Spirit of God now as they did then. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith. We pray that you would increase our obedience. And as we look at what happened in this event with Ananias and Sapphira, Lord, it's, it's not a good thing. 
But Lord, we, help, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to draw uh, lessons from it, that you would give us instruction from it, and that these things would be uh, an encouragement and a, a place whereby we might examine ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would truly help your people. Lord, this is your word, and it is effectual in us that believe. And so, Lord, we just ask you that you would meet, meet with us this morning, that you would truly help us and teach us. Please, Lord, give me wisdom to be able to help your people, Lord, if you would be pleased to do so. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to remember the context of, the, of this point in the book of Acts, because uh, and I pointed this out on Wednesday night as we talked about the, how the, the church made it a point to help the poor believers. And then we were introduced in verse number, uh, verse 35 and 36. 35 of chapter 4 says, And they laid them, that is the money from these possessions that had been sold, they laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is, being interpreted, the son of consolation, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, as you can imagine, the, the environment here, first of all, we know the environment in, at this point in Acts is uh, the church is still apparently meeting in Solomon's porch, which is the portico, which is the, the within the courtyard of the the temple complex, but on the, on the edge where there was a, there was a portico where, where it was covered, basically. And they were meeting on the temple grounds. We know that because in chapter 5, the Bible says, verse number uh, 12, the end of the verse says, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. So they're, they're probably having private meetings in smaller areas, and then they're having larger meetings in this area, I imagine. But this is a great time of revival. This is a great time of uh, the Lord is doing miraculous things. In chapter 5, verse number 12, down through verse 16, you read about some of the miraculous things that God is doing because, of course, these miracles are happening because God is working, getting the gospel to the Jew, and, and He's confirming those things in the words of the apostles and of the church with these miraculous signs. And so this was an unusual time. It is, as I said before, setting an example uh, that we and all churches after this time would, uh, would look to as an example of what the Lord does when, and how you can identify real, a real spiritual awakening. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to see our church have a real spiritual awakening? Do you want to see our church have a real spiritual awakening that's not a preacher and his suave and oratory and eloquence and using emotions to, to tug people's heart. No, 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 no. But where things are happening that only can be explained by the work of God among us. If you have never been in, in a, and I can't say I've been in a situation in a, in a real awakening that was long-term. I believe the, it, how many of you were here around, around the time that I got saved in 1999? Brother Vernon was... Sister Rita, Brother Pete was, Miss Judy I know would have been, Miss Judy Pitt, and a few others, Miss Karen, uh, Miss Juanita would have been, been around. But I, I remember that. There, that was, there were things that happened that, just, that were just 
I, it was just the Lord's, the Lord did something in our church at that time. And I know he did something in me and, and, uh, and I, I just want to see the Lord do something out of the ordinary and uh, to stir us up. And I, I don't know that this meeting would be when it happens, but I, I want the Lord to do it. We need it. And listen, it's not that those things are happen all the time, but, but it, they should happen from time to time, right? Everything can't be a high all the time, but there should be a high sometimes, right? If we're walking with the Lord, we're doing His will, and that's what's happening here. This is a high point. This is a high point in the church. It's, going, it's basically going to go down from here. Now, there will be other high points, thankfully, especially as the gospel starts to go to other places like Berea, like Thessalonica, and these other places, Ephesus and, and such, first in, in Corinth and stuff like that. But this is a high point, and it's going to kind of go down from here because the persecution is going to be ratcheted up here in the next couple chapters. But here's what I want you to see. We read the text, and in the middle of the high point, what do you find? You find Satan. That's what you find. In the middle of the high point, things are going good. In fact, all of these gifts that have been given to the church, being laid at the apostles' feet to help the poor believers, all these gifts are are going to, uh, are, people are selling. These are just miraculous things. People do not do this normally. They do not. We talked about the filling of the Spirit several Wednesday nights ago, right? When they were installing the carpet. Where people do things because the Spirit of God is moving them and influencing them. They're doing things that they would never normally do. That's what's happening here. People do not sell their property. This property is their heritage. This is their retirement, right? Especially in a time when there was no retirement like we think of retirement. This was their retirement. This was what had been passed down from generations. And they're selling it because they want to help the poor believers in this church. It's, it's just a remarkable time. But in the middle of it, you have the devil. The devil. Verse number 3 says, Why, Peter says to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? So even though you have a high time, even though there is a high moment, there is never a time at which a believer, a Christian, and a or a church should be ignorant or, or not cognizant that we must be circumspect and we must be paying attention and we must be walking with God. When Anna, when my daughter Anna, our daughter, went to, went to Crown College yesterday when we we went, went to a Mexican place, fantastic Mexican place. That'll be, we go back there and we visit her. Awesome Mexican place. But when we went there, we left that restaurant and we were talking. I told her, I told her to make sure that she, she maintains her devotions and her walk with God. You know why I said that? Because there's a tendency when you're in a, a highly spiritual environment, and I say that, you know, uh, she's in a, in a Bible college. She's in a, a Christian college. She's going to have chapel services and preaching, and everybody, everybody, around, her, everybody around her is going to be believers, you know, ostensibly, and that's, that's the way it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a Christian, it's supposed to be a Christian environment. And in that environment is the very time that those things slip. Because the assumption is, well, I'm in a Christian. I go to school. I mean, I'm, I'm going to Bible class. There's no, you know, I don't need to make sure I seek God in prayer. And 
I spend time in the Bible and I read his word. I maintain my relationship to him. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Christian college. You see, even in a high point, there's, you have to be careful because that's when the temptation comes to let it slip. And the sad thing is, and I'm just, I'm just telling you, that Anna told me that she didn't see anybody doing their devotions in the morning. Nobody. Because I asked her. But you know what? That's a, that's a common thing. When we get at a high point, it's a common thing to let our guard down. But I want to tell you, even at the high point, the devil is there. Even at a high point, you see this ugly thing come in the church. This thing that does not please God. But let's look at it real quick. I want to clarify exactly what's going on here. So Ananias in verse 1 and Sapphira, his wife. Now, I want to point out a couple things I want to make sure we understand before we get to kind of the core of what I want to say. Notice it says in verse 1, a certain man named Ananias, and it says, with Sapphira, his wife. Okay, that's key. Note that. With Sapphira, his wife. Sold a possession. Get back part of the price. Again, his wife also being privy or knowledgeable of it, privy to it. So they had some land. They sold it, a possession of some kind, probably a piece of land. They sold it for $20,000, all right? So here's what happened. They, all of these other people, because of this high spiritual kind of level that's, being, that's, that's happening, and the Lord is working in people, people's hearts, and they're just spontaneously just selling their land. And Listen, we're not saying that selling your land makes you spiritual. Rat, the reverse is actually true. That, why do we always do that? We always take something that is good and we turn it into some sort of rule, some sort of standard that we judge our spirituality by. That's the, it's actually the reverse. God is working in somebody, somebody's heart and they are, they are responding to God by doing these things. They're not looking at that, well, if I do this, I'll be spiritual until you get here. Ooh. They've got it backwards here. They're trying to be spiritual here. They sell the land, say $20,000, and they bring it and they, they keep back part of the price. So say they keep 10. And they bring the 10 and lay it at the apostles' feet. Okay, verse 3. Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? It's interesting. Why is it that wherever money appears among God's people, Satan also appears? Not too long before this event, a man named Judas Iscariot, who also was filled with Satan, sold the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver for money out of covet. Is that not weird? This has only been a few months, right? As far as we know, it's a short period of time since actually Judas had done that and then, and then hanged himself. It has not been that long, but yet the same thing, the devil's using the same tool to get inside. Was not Judas inside of God's people? 
inside the church. He was one of the 12. And here the devil's doing the same thing again, using money, using covetousness, using hypocrisy and fakery to get inside of God's people to harm and to hurt God's people. It's the same, it's the same MO as what Judas did. Now notice what verse 4 says. Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Now stop. Now what are we saying here? Is Peter saying that, <laughs> that the church had a policy that everyone that became a member had to sell all their land and give it to the church? No. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, whilst it remained, was it not thine own? In other words, this was your property. It was in your power. You were the master of this property. It was totally yours to do whatever you wanted to with. That's the principle, biblical principle, of personal property. That's biblical. Did you know that? That's not American. That's biblical. Personal ownership of property is biblical. And you know what? He had power to do whatever he wanted to do with his property. And then he says, why, he says and after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? So Peter is saying, after you sold the property for $20,000, you could do whatever you wanted to with the money. The church laid no claim upon your money. You see, the, the offerings that, were, that we see here in chapter 4 and 5, and also in chapter 2, were all voluntary. That's Again, that's just kind of repeating myself a little bit. They're all voluntary. The church made no claim, laid no claim to these people's property. They brought it as an offering to God for the purpose of helping, it's a, basically what we would call a designated offering. Basically, that's what it would be. And they had every right, Ananias and Sapphira had every right to bring $10,000 of the 20, $5,000, $20,000, or $1. When it was in their power, they had every right to do what they wanted to with their money. But here is where the sin came. All right? What was their sin? Of course, we know in verse 4, they lied to God. I know that. But why? How? It's, it's this simple. They sold the land and brought the price and said, this is the price of the land. They could have brought as much or as little as they wanted. But they said, this is the price of the land. They lied. And so what you have is three things. You have something that began as hypocrisy. It became mingled with covetousness. And it resulted ultimately in a falsehood. Hypocrisy, covetousness, and falsehood. That's what, that's, that is what is happening. Now, God did not require them to give that money. But God did require them to tell the truth. But the question I ask this is, and maybe we'll look at this a little bit tonight as well, but why did they do this? Why did they bring only part of the property, part of the price, and then say? That's the key question. Why did they bring that money and do this offering and then say it was the full price of the land? That was unnecessary. That, that last part was totally unnecessary. They could have brought it and said, hey, we want to give this much money. We sold some land. 
And we, we have some money now. We want to give the money to help the poor saints that are, that are suffering. We could have, they could have done that. It would have been perfectly fine. Why did they not do that? That's the key question. Because that is the motive that drove the sin. That is the motive that drove the sin. Now, we know from this, though, that the Lord is not just looking at the gift. Right? He was not, we think, we think you know, we give God something, we think because we gave God something that God somehow owes us something. It's not that way at all. Not if you give and not if I give. We give God through the offering, right? We give, God through the, we give to God through the offering. That's not my money. And when you give it, it's not your money either. And it's not the church's money. It's God's money. The moment we write that check and drop it in the offering plate, it ceases to be ours. And I'm talking about myself as well as you. It ceases to be ours. And it also ceases to be ours to do what we want to corporately with it as well. It is God's money. It's God's money. Now, the last thing I want to see before we get to the core is this. Obviously, God took this very seriously. Obviously, the Lord took this problem very seriously because of the result. He took the lives of two people. And I think both of these people were believers. You know why I think they were believers? Because the Lord chastened them. He took their life. When the, when the Lord deals with, with the world, oftentimes we, we look at the world, and this is all over the Scriptures, in the Psalms, how that being envious of the wicked and those kinds of things in the Psalms. But when you see people who just sin and they, they have no regret or remorse, they don't feel bad about it, and they're just pedal to the metal in sin, and they love it and throw themselves at it, and nothing bad ever happens to them, sometimes it causes God's people to be envious. It's like, well, what about me? I'm, I'm chastened all the day long. God's after me all the time. I just get out of the way a little bit and the Lord's after me about it. You better be glad of that and I better be glad of that because you, if God was not on you, you'd be just as far out there as anybody else. That's just a fact. Well, I wouldn't do that. I'm a good person. No, you're not. We would be just as far out except God's grace and the Spirit of God in us keeps us and God stays on us. Gives us what we were talking about in Sunday school, the fear of the Lord. That's why I think that Ananias and Sapphira were likely, they were true believers. They weren't just fake believers, but they were true believers because God dealt with it. Whereas with the world, God just often lets them go and reserves them to the day of judgment. But in this case, God didn't reserve them to the day of judgment. God dealt with it at that moment. But this is a very serious matter. Now, go back to the beginning of chapter 5 again. Notice what it says about Ananias and Sapphira, especially about Sapphira. Verse 1 says, Sapphira was with Ananias in the selling of the land. Verse 2 says, she was privy to it. She was privy to it. She was privy to the fact that he had kept back part of the price. She was privy to the fact that they were only giving part of it. And then finally, when she's confronted later, 
verse number nine, I'm sorry, verse number eight, asked directly whether the land was valued for that, for, for, for the, the, the amount that Ananias had said. She said, yea, for so much. She lied at the end. So Sapphira was right along with Ananias in all of this. Now, what I want you to see, though, is I think you can see from this text, not just from the culture, although that's true as well, that Anani- it was, this was probably Ananias' idea. Number one, he's the man and the leader in the family, especially at this time in history. In other words, in our day, it's not, that's not, you can't always presume that. But at this time, it was a lot more that way than it is now. But here's what I want you to see. Both Ananias and Sapphira had a responsibility to the Lord for what they did individually. Even though this was probably Ananias' scheme, you, one way, another way you can tell that, besides just kind of reading between the lines, is God judges him first. God judges him first. And had Sapphira done right and said, no, it's, it's, it wasn't true. I tried to tell him not to do this. Had she been outside of this problem and separated from it, you know what would have happened? She would have lived. You know why? Because... They both individually had responsibility before the Lord for what they did. But the problem is she was in on it. She was questioned. It says she was privy to it in verse 2. She was questioned separately by Peter and given an opportunity to state the truth separately, which indicates personal, individual responsibility but she chose to partake in his sin. Look at 1 Timothy, if you would. I'm going to look at a few verses here. Chapter 5. Verse number The Bible says, lay hands to Timothy. The Bible says, lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. You see that? Was not Sapphira doing that? She was partaking in what was most likely Ananias' idea, Ananias' sin. She took part in it even though it wasn't originally hers. And at that point, she has, a, she has a, a responsibility and she has a duty to God and she has individual accountability to God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Verse number 5. Ephesians 5, verse 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, no, no Ananias, we'll see that a little bit later, maybe tonight, who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Be not partakers with them. Look at verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather 
reprove them. What should Sapphira have done? She should have said, I will have no part in this. But she's supposed to submit to her husband. She is to submit to the Lord above her husband. She is not just because, just because and here's, here's, here's what you have to understand, husbands, that your authority has a limit. Your authority, just like in a church, a pastor's authority, a pastor has authority within the church as the overseer. But that authority has limits. And authority is not set by the church or the deacons or the members or anything like that. The, the authority is set by the scripture, you see. And that same is true in your family. You don't have, we as husbands do not have all authority to tell our wives to do whatever. We definitely do not have the authority to tell them to sin. See, we have an individual accountability and also our wives have, have an individual accountability to God as well. And for the wives, in this case, he says, applying this, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. She should have said, I will not do this. I will not have any part of this. This is not right. This is wrong. But you see, here's the problem. Sometimes, because of the influence that a husband naturally has over his wife, he can influence her to the point that she also sins with him. If I were that husband, I would not want to take that to God in judgment. Not only my own sin, but leading and causing others by being a stumbling block, causing them also to sin. And this is what Ananias did. Look at 2 John, if you would. Verse 11, talking about false, false teachers, those that peddle false doctrine. Verse 10 says, 2 John, verse 10, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God's speed. For he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. You have in Ephesians, reproving them versus bidding them God's speed, blessing them. Now, now you as a wife, talking to the wives now real quick, you might not be able to stop your husband from sinning against God. But you do have an, a, a responsibility to God to not enable it and facilitate it and partake in it. You must maintain your own walk with God. And you are responsible to God for your own life. And this is evident in this example. You cannot hide behind your husband's sins. You see, a wife, and this goes both ways. The reverse is true as well. A wife is not responsible for her husband's sins. But she is responsible for her enablement and facilitating and partaking and helping her husband's sins. And she's also responsible for being faithful to God despite her husband's sins. Look at Romans 14, if you would.
Romans 14, verse number 11. says this, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. You know what that means? That means the knees of the men and women. The tongues of the men and women. That means the knees of the husbands and the wives, and the, knees of the, and the tongues of the husbands and the wives. Every one. So then, verse 12, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That means... It doesn't matter if you're a husband or a wife. The husband's not, gonna, not going to answer. Of course, he'll answer for his role as a leader in those things over which he has authority. But she will answer also as an individual to, to, to God for how she has enabled or facilitated or for sure partaken of her husband's sins and allowed his sin to drag her down and hinder her. That's also her responsibility. Even though men's and women's roles in the church and in, and in the home are different. We know that. They're distinct. They're different. But spiritually speaking, hear me now. Spiritually speaking, men and women, husbands and wives are on equal footing when it comes to being a child of God and a believer in Christ. Men are not on a higher plane. That's what Mormonism teaches. They're not. Men and women are on equal spiritual plane in the body of Christ. Of course, roles are different in the church and in the home. But before God, every one of them, every one of us, both men and women, are equally responsible to God. That's what verse 12 says of Romans 14. This is what we call the priesthood of the believer. That means a man and a woman has direct access to God and then direct responsibility to God. That's why we cannot be partakers of other men's sins. But here is what grieves my soul. Here's what grieves my soul. There is a gross and wicked problem in churches in which most of the time wives are being put in positions by ungodly and unfaithful husbands. They're being put in difficult positions to serve God. They're laid stumbling blocks before them by ungodliness. And they have to attempt to serve God all by themselves. And that should not be. A woman nor a man, if the reverse is true, should have to serve God over the difficulty of a husband or a wife that refuses to live for God. But nevertheless, she has that responsibility to, to follow God and be faithful. But the, you know what? The same is true of churches and pastors and any relationship where you, one party is hindering and dragging down the other party. That's not an excuse for me, but well, you know, well, they make it so hard at my work, so I'm just going to sin. Or, you know, at my church, this and that's going on, so I'm just not going to live for God. Or whatever the case might be, brothers or sisters, or whatever the case might be. A stumbling block being laid before us is not an excuse. Last verse I want to look at really quick. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. Verse number 22 says this, Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. 
which justify the wicked for reward. Now listen to this. And take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Here you have a wife that wants to live for God. She's trying to live right. And the husband is dragging her down, hindering her. And she has taking her righteousness from her. Here you have a man who wants to live for God and a deadbeat wife who will not, will not live in obedience to the Lord is a rebel against God, is dragging him down and hindering, and he has to serve God over the top of her. Listen, that should not be. Husbands and wives should not be selling property and trying to deceive vainly God over what they're giving to be a, a hypocrite they should be serving the Lord together, together, together. But I want to tell you, even though we know we live in a fallen world and that's not always the case, if your wife doesn't live for God, you still must. You still must be that sapphire that's saying, no, I will not partake in that. I love God more. You must be that, you must be that husband that's going to say, no, I'm not going to partake in that. You must be that wife saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I want to be faithful to God and my relationship to God is more important. But let us take a lesson and let us beware if we're the husband, if we're the wife who's putting our spouse in such a position where they have to make decisions like that. You will give an account to God for that. I will also. So you have Ananias and Sapphira where they should be serving together, sinning together. You have Ananias wickedly putting his wife in a position where she has to choose between the Lord and her husband. Totally unnecessary. She made the wrong decision. She made the wrong decision. We should be serving together, not sinning together. Let's pray.